It's time for a legendary introduction. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I really think nobody does it better. Join the conversation as we cover everything from life and relationships. All a woman wants is a choice. Inspiring interviews. That just hit me. Wow. And everything in between. Just keeping it real. We keeping it all the way real. Whoa. Now let's start unpacking. This is Linnea, your host, and welcome back to Unpacking the Box podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, back you guys did you miss me and i'm here with hubby again he's been on the show like i don't know like three times four times not enough. a lot what not nearly enough anyway for you guys who don't know hubby is my husband and he's coming to chat with me today you guys so i actually wanted to drop this episode on September the 11th, but I didn't get around to it. So here we are. We're supposed to do this episode like days ago. So I'm just gonna try to remember what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to talk about Spike Lee's documentary. We're gonna be on our, I always forget the names, Ebert and Cobert. Is that the name? It really is not. <laughs> We're trying to be on our reviews with the name wow <laughs> Colbert and Ebert right no what is it I forgot it is Ebert Ebert and Roper and Roper that's what we about to be on today we're going to talk about Spike Lee's documentary and for my old folks it's Siskel and Ebert Siskel and Ebert well you know what I meant and I'm pretty sure they knew what I meant probably <laughs> But we're going to review this documentary. So I'm just telling y'all right now, for those of you who have not watched it, who plan to watch it, this is a spoiler alert. So you may want to stop this show right now because we are going to talk about it. So Spike Lee, you know, if you know Spike Lee, you know that everything that he does is amazing, excellent, brilliant. He's a genius. He just is everything. At least that's how we feel. I feel like most people feel like that. So if you're not a Spike Lee fan, I don't know, like, I don't know why you're not a Spike Lee fan. You need to be. So um, he did a documentary called NYC Epicenters. And what was it, honey? 9-11 to 20-21 and a half? Yes, I see I got it right. <laughs> that was the name of the documentary. And basically it was four parts, a four-part series and he talked about so many things y'all he covered 9-11 um in New York he covered everything was from like the lens of New York which I believe he was born in Atlanta but then his family moved him to New York right 
he was born in Atlanta, but then they re- they moved to New York. Yeah, Spike Lee. I don't believe he was born in New York. He was born in Atlanta. And they moved to New York. So, you know, hubby is going to fact check me because mm-hmm, he thinks mm-hmm, that I don't know what I'm mm-hmm, talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, he was born in Atlanta. See, but I told you that. I know my stuff. Our research is okay. Uh, and they uh, know that. Uh, don't give me attitude. I'm, <laughs> I'm just making sure. I'm just, oh, you didn't think I knew my stuff? I'd be on my shit. So, I was right, you guys. He was born in Atlanta and his family relocated to New York. So, of course, he doesn't live in New York now because he had to move because everybody knew, found out his address and was knocking on his door. So, but, you know, he lived in New York for so many years. It's his home. And so, this documentary is really through the lens of New York and things that happened. Um, 9-11, COVID. Um, and also New Yorkers. And New Yorkers, yes. Which, one of the things I love about it was because um, I learned so many things that I didn't know before. And also, it was different to see these things unfold through the eyes of New Yorkers. Because when you live in a different place, which we're from Maryland, and when we was going through the pandemic, and when 9-11 happened, you know, we're here. And even though, as far as the pandemic, we experienced that too, but you kind of don't think about other places. And I feel like he really brought... He really brought the rawness out of it and just so many layers. And we saw it through the eyes of the New Yorkers. So that's what we want to talk about today, you guys, because it was really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. It was really good. So what are your thoughts, honey? What like what what did you love about it and what stuck out to you about this documentary? I like how he um and Spike Lee documentaries, he he picks these certain points or moments where he shows um, like a a human commonality. Um, Like when he did, uh, when the levees broke, um, it was one part in that documentary where everyone was describing what was going on and they were describing... um, how uncomfortable or how hot they were and each person that he interviewed they were asked the same question like well how did it feel and everybody would say it's hot it was hot it was hot each person would do the same thing so like when he did the 9-11 segment he showed what everybody was doing which everybody at the same time was doing pretty much the same thing it was like um so I turned on the TV and then the next person would say so I turned on the TV and then um Another, another point was was I got that I you know when everybody talks about when they get their phone call I got that phone call and then the next person say I got a phone call and the next person will say I got a phone call just to show just to show the connection of um, the human factor of going through um, a shocking um, and tragic moment um, that everybody shared at the same time. To, sh- to show that, um, you know, we all may be in our different walks of life. We all may have our different backgrounds. But when um, big events happen, 
we all tend to do the same thing. So, you know, it doesn't become a black or white thing. It doesn't become a Democrat or Republic thing. It becomes a human thing. So that's the one thing that, um, that I, that sticks out to me in him creating his documentaries. Mm hmm. I love that part too. Like he also did it when he when they were like talking about how beautiful of a day nine eleven was, and then everybody else, everybody was repeating it like it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. He was really trying to convey like how everybody, like you just said, everybody is from different backgrounds, different walks of life. You know, they're in different places. You know, in New York, but everybody said it was a beautiful day that day. It was a beautiful day, and so he really tried to drive that message home. Like, hey, it was you know this tragic thing happened you know, hours later, but it was like a beautiful morning, a beautiful day. And so it just makes you think like everybody was like, you know, everybody's different, but everybody woke up that morning. Like it's a beautiful day. And so that really stuck out to me, you know, and like, it was a lot that it was a lot that really stuck with me. Cause I feel like I've always been intrigued by, you know, what people were going through that day. You know, obviously, you know, we've seen loads of documentaries. We've heard news stories. We've seen so much covered every year on 9-11. And even, you know, that day and the days that that came after that. But I feel like with this documentary, this was the most rawest. In the most rawest form, it exposed things that I never knew before. And it really took you inside that building, inside um, the towers, by people's accounts of what happened. It really took you, like... It really painted that picture of what people were going through inside those buildings and what people witnessed that day. And so that really stuck with me because I've always just wondered, like, you just wonder, like, what people were going through that day. Like, what? Because it was just so, it was just so tragic. Like, did that, like, stick with you? Mm-hmm. So where were you? I was in college with my best friend, Lauren, who is now deceased. We were in the cafeteria, and we were eating like we always did. We always ate breakfast together, and we ate lunch together. We met in the cafeteria every morning, and we were eating uh, breakfast, and the TV was on. The TV, you know, they have TV in the cafeteria or whatever, but we never would watch the TV. We always would be talking and getting our food and stuff, because we was foodies, y'all. That's all we did was eat, so <laughs> we was foodies. So we was in the cafeteria just doing our thing, eating like we always do. And I just remember people coming into the cafeteria that day just saying, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? So something to that effect. It was like people was talking about it. And we still didn't pay attention to like the TV because we just never paid. We never paid attention to that TV. But I just remember people coming in there saying that something had happened we're under attack or something i can remember somebody saying something like that and then i can remember people paying attention to the tv and so then we paid attention to the tv and that's when we saw everything unfolding and we started freaking out of course because everybody was freaking out because i feel like it was one of those days where because we left you know when everybody's like you know everybody is evacuating everywhere all over the world at this point because they didn't know if if other attacks were gonna happen and stuff like that so um, my friend, Lara, my best friend, she was like, I'm going to take you home. We're going to go home. And, we, and, and another girl, another one of our mutual friends was like, I'm going to take y'all home. We're going to get home. Let me tell y'all something. And y'all probably can relate to this. And you too, I'm going to ask you. But 
it was like when we went out to the parking lot it looked like like you know those zombie movies where like it's a zombie apocalypse or the world about to end and like everybody trying to leave and it's like a backed up traffic because everybody trying to leave because it's the end of the world because that's how it was that's exactly how it was it took us like almost three hours to get home and the college was not even that far from our homes it was just crazy that day we just was freaking out because at that point nobody knew like if like the whole world was about to blow up or what you know that's how that's what we was thinking we was just trying to get home it, we was freaking out though mm-hmm. how about you where were you i was in i was just getting out of um drill team practice in school um school started at 8 40 and i think the first plane hit the tower like not too long after that like 8 40 something um so after i got a drill team practice i got my stuff went upstairs to history class because i was in high school at the time did you really want you got it really i mean i had you know you know when they say where were you i had to say where you I had was. To say high school. I just was in college. You, you, you had to. Can you clarify so they they don't think I'm a cradle robber? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm. <laughs> she stole me, y'all. Why would you say that you? <laughs> she stole me. First of all, she's no. We about to be she's clear three right now. Years older than me. Yes, okay. I'm 39 and he's what 35. Hold on. Wow. No, wait. <laughs> Jesus. Hold on, honey. See, now you get into personal numbers and stuff like that. I didn't say how old you were. You but, said it. But did you have to say high school, though? I don't want these people to think that I'm some sicko. Cause, or like Mary Letourneau, God rest her soul. But now I'm not like that. We are not. No, I'm because I don't want to even go down like that because that is you not ain't even. Going down. No. I'm not no criminal. <laughs> I'm done with you right now. Anyway, go ahead. When I was in history class. <laughs> First period. <laughs> and um, so you made me. Because you, why did you have to say high school though? Okay, you I said say, history class, but it just makes it. You said high school. I was in high school, <laughs> but you made it seem like like you are like a baby. But you, no, I literally just started college. Okay, and you were about to get out. I was a junior. What? <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, we're getting off on a tangent here, okay? Okay, the bottom line is... I was in high school. We're both in our late 30s. I was... Exactly. That's all I count. <laughs> we're going to jail. I was just getting out of drill team practice. I had to go to history class. That was first period. So, when I got there, um, everything was pretty much normal. Um, and then... His, my... Um, English teacher who was next door came over to our class and pulled the teacher out 
and they were like whispering in the hallway and Akaba was like something's wrong um and then she turned the tv on and we saw the first um tower um like it was already hit and it was like um blowing smoke so like people like people were slowly trickling in to class and we were all watching that and then um we were all talking about it and then it happened like in a like in a flash but this we saw the second plane hit the tower on live television which we were like whoa like this is not a movie and that that wasn't a mistake like the first one could have been a mistake but the second one definitely wasn't and then a few minutes after that they showed us um live shot of the pentagon on fire um and like military people running up to running up into the pentagon to see if they could like save anybody and stuff like that and then we were everybody was in a panic um like like are we under attack like we we like for real thought we were under attack um and because we live in maryland and dc is not that far away from us um we didn't know whether or not something was gonna happen even closer to us um so like we spent a lot of that morning um like in just watching the news and then um like maybe about an hour to somewhere around 11 um we got dismissed early um yeah and that's where mm-hmm. I was but all the other thing that is was memorable to me was um that was also the day that um Jay-Z's album came out the blueprint um and of course I'm a huge Jay-Z fan um and I wasn't gonna let that deter me from getting that album that day oh my god and my father took me to the store to get it and then while we were driving back home um he was like driving like unusually slow um to say and he was just looking at the sky it was like there's never been there's never been a day in my life where you never saw a plane in the sky and which was actually like kind of eerie because where we live um planes go by like very regularly and you can hear them quite regularly like they weren't high up that you couldn't hear like they were relatively close because the airport is not far away um but it was just eerily quiet in the sky Mhm. Yeah, I think everybody kind of had like that kind of same experience. You know, the one I maybe mean, people that you know weren't there in the buildings going through that horrific moment. I think most people all around was just like thinking that we were next, so we all just had to go. We had to leave, leave school, leave wherever we were to get home, get safe. I remember, um, I called my mom. I can't remember what I said. But I called my mother. I can't remember if she left work at that time. I can't remember some things about that day. I mean, I remember where I was and leaving and stuff like that. But some things I don't remember. 
but um but yeah but back to this documentary um he really took you there guys he took you inside those buildings he took you to new york up close and personal he took you there and And he also um he also included himself into it mm -hmm. um because he was explaining he interviewed his wife and his children um but he also um like had a a interview part of himself Mm -hmm. where he um was explaining how he was in he had gotten to california a couple days earlier to have a meeting with Arnold Schwarzenegger to do a movie while his wife and children were still in New York. Um, and then they were having a conversation on the phone about what was going on and him having to figure out how to get back home um, and eventually taking the train. Yeah, which was really dope for him, you know, interviewing his family. And first of all, Spike Lee is hilarious, you guys. He is, not that this was a hilarious thing he was talking about, but just him him as an being an interviewer, the way he talks to people, his laugh, his, the way he talks, he talks to people like everyone is his friend and everybody is, is his family. That's how he is. Like, he's just so down to earth. And so he's, a, he's an amazing interviewer and storyteller. But, um, and we're not going to keep y'all long, but I do want to talk about some people that really, like, really. We got to get to other segments, too. Because it was the September 11th one. Yeah, and COVID. The, the COVID one. Mm-hmm. The January 6th insurrection one. Uh-huh. Um, which was really good. Yeah. Because you... Um, which was intertwined into the pandemic. Yeah, and then the last one was... The architect um, stuff, right? Yeah. It the, was... The construction yeah, it was a, stuff. It was a little bit of that, but it was mostly talking about... Um, the the aftermath of what September 11th did mm-hmm. for um, the American morale, but at the same time um, being extra discriminate discriminate discriminative um, against um, Arab and um, mm-hmm. Muslim. Oh people. yeah, yeah, I love that. Yes, we do. So. And again, we're not going to keep you guys, try to keep you guys too long, but I just want to talk about some people that really stood out for me and some things. So, and I'm going to try to remember names, but I don't know. I'm probably going to chop them up and forget because we were supposed to do this days ago. I would have remembered. You know what? You're not going to blame me for this. <laughs> so, during the 9-11 portion, there was a maintenance man. You know who I'm talking about? The maintenance man for the, I believe the North Tower. The, um... William, what's his name? William Rodriguez or something like that, I think his name was. Oh, the, um, the Mexican yes. guy. The makes the makes the maintenance guy. Did you have this? I mean, he's a man. He's just a maintenance man. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who it was. He was Mexican too. Okay, but that don't matter. He's just a maintenance man. No, it man. doesn't matter, but it helped me remember who he was. Okay. The maintenance man. <laughs> He, his name, I believe, was William Rodriguez. He, this is one of the people that stuck out to me in stories. He was responsible for cleaning 110 floors in the North Tower, which I thought was, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not by himself. He, okay, so you guys, the maintenance man, okay? He tried to call out that day. He attempted to call out that day, but his manager told him that he could not call out. 
that he needed to come in because he was responsible for cleaning 110 floors and nobody else could do it like him. So the manager was like, no, you have to come in because nobody else is going to do it like you. So he ends up going in. But guys, 110 floors. I mean, could you guys imagine like 110 floors? That's a lot of floors, a lot of stairwells to clean. And this man was cleaning this all on his own. So he ended up going in. Um, he ended up being in a building when, uh, when the plane hit, he was in the building, right? Was he mm-hmm. still in the building? Yeah, he was still in the building. And he was in the building when, it, when the tower started to fall. Yeah, he was, he was in the building when the tower started to collapse as well. But one of the things was that was so like riveting to me was that he was describing when he was almost on his way out of the building. Cause he, he, he actually wanted to go back in the building to go help the officials rescue the people above that were trapped at the top. The people that you guys saw waving out of the window when uh, in the flames and stuff like that. He wanted to go back up there and help those people that were trapped. But the officials told him, like, no, you need to leave. So he leaves. And on his way out, he ends up seeing the bodies that the people that jumped. The jumpers, I'm pretty sure you guys already saw, saw that before. You know, when they showed on TV, they showed people jumping out of the burning buildings but he actually saw those bodies and this how he described those images he was saying that you know they were unrecognizable all he could see was hair and flesh and to me that kind of that just was like that just bothered me so much because again we all we all saw it on tv we saw people jumping out of the building but somebody that was actually there who was in that building who saw those bodies um on the ground or whatever surface they fell on and he was saying they were unrecognizable because of the impact the impact was so severe that their bodies were unrecognizable and i do a disclaimer this may be triggering for some people but i mean you know this is what is in within this documentary so that was one of the stories that stuck out to me um another story that stuck out to me and this was like this was actually the COVID portion was a man I don't remember what the man name. I want to say his name is Ryan Sarmiento or something like that. He was an NYC. He's a um a camera, a photographer, or a camera. What do you call it? He worked on the Malcolm X set, and Spike Lee didn't even know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, one of the cameramen. Yeah, he was a cameraman. He worked on Malcolm X, and Spike Lee didn't even realize. He was like, "You worked on Malcolm X," so he. He was talking about his mother. His mother was in a nursing home. And the nursing home called him and told him that his mother was not feeling well. I believe she had a fever, high fever or something like that. And they asked him, did he want her to go to the hospital? And he said, yeah, of course, I want her to go to the hospital. But then they told him that they don't think that's a good idea because if she goes to the hospital, she's going to immediately contract COVID. So him, you know, trusting medical, medical, um, you know, medical personnel who have been ta- who had been taking care of his mother for a year, for I think a year or over a year, he trusted what they said to him. You know, if I if I send my mother to the hospital, she's going to get COVID. That's where COVID is, and she's going to get it. So he decided not to send her to the hospital. So then days later, the nursing home called him again. And told him that his mom was hypoxic, which means that she couldn't breathe. She was having trouble breathing. And again, they asked him, do you want us to send her to the hospital? He said, yes, of course. So she goes to the hospital and she ends up dying, I want to say five days later. 
but the most thing the thing that stuck the thing that stuck with me about this story is that and this intertwines with with um they were talking about those trucks the refrigerator trucks that they were putting bodies in i'm pretty sure you guys if you were paying attention to the news new york um they had to get refrigerated trucks to store the dead bodies in because they still got them they still got them oh my god because the 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 death rate was so high that they ran out of room at the morgue to put to place the body so they had to get the trucks so this guy's mom ended up had her body ended up having to be on the truck because he didn't have room um you know at the morgue i mean i just thought that was just really i didn't i guess because again we were in maryland so we were kind of paying attention to the maryland numbers but i did not realize until i watched this documentary that new york was that bad i didn't i mean i knew the pandemic was bad but i mean oh my god it was horrible there and they also undercounted about half or over half of the cases that they um were reporting due to um the parameters by which they had to report something so it was like if you you weren't counted as a covid um death if you um i think if like if you came to the hospital and if you caught it somewhere and then you came to the hospital and died i don't think they i want to say they didn't count that as a covid that certain parent like if you watch the documentary they'll explain it but um they ended up um the i want to say it's the state attorney for new york um did an investigation and reported that the assembly over member? half Ron Kim, because that's another one I was going to talk about. No, he's he's somebody different. Okay. It was um her name Letitia. Can never remember this woman's last name. I want to say it's Jane, but I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the state's attorney for New York. Um, that investigated um what was going on um in the. New York nursing homes um, and how they uh, handled it in relation to hospitals and they weren't and hospitals weren't reporting certain things um, which resulted in like something like 55% not being counted as COVID deaths um, which was like a bombshell thing in New York for the governor Mm-hmm. And speaking of him, Yasko, I was thinking of Ron Kim. He was, what'd you say he was? He was I can't a, remember what he is. He's he's an assembly member, right? I want to say so. Yeah, he is. Because he was also investigating the nursing home deaths, which was one of the nursing homes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he, he was a, he's in New York. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he was investigating the nursing home deaths that in one of the nursing homes was the one that the woman died at the one the one that was talking about the cameraman's mom yeah because the majority of the nursing homes were in his district and they were like they were hiding certain data right certain Mm -hmm. data they were not going to release and then i think he was threatened by cuomo andrew cuomo to stop investigating the nursing homes Mm -hmm. 
yeah so that kind of stuck out to me too he was trying to expose the, the the high death rate in nursing homes in new york which was a lot um and andrew cuomo was trying to stop him basically threatening him telling him you know that he you know to stop doing that you know how they do in the political world you guys you already know and um and I just thought that part was really, really good because he he even started he even broke down and was crying on the interview with Spike Lee because his he was saying how his wife really encouraged him and helped him to defy Andrew Como, you know, threats to threaten him to stop trying to expose the nursing home. So that part was really, really good and moving um, because you know he was just trying to do the right thing trying to do the right thing but you know when you're in the political world it's just you know no holds bar people will try to stop you at every angle so and then also in the the COVID documentary they also go through the um the killings of um Ahmaud Arbery and Elijah McClain um uh, Breonna Taylor, um, all of those, um, and George Floyd, um, mm-hmm. all of those um, deaths that happened within, like that time period of the pandemic starting and um, mm-hmm. happening, and he interviews like quite a few, like um, young activists um, from across a few different places, but mostly in New York, mm-hmm. um, on what was going on at the time and how they were trying to um, send a message around the world which they um, accomplished because he he showed uh, quite a few places um, around the world where they were protesting um, those killings Mm Yes, and he showed them again, you know, on camera. So, again, trigger warning if you're going to watch this documentary. He does show the killings, um, you know, so just so you guys know, fair warning. But I feel like we need to see these things. We need to see these things. And the way that he laid all these things out, we need to see these things. And we need to know these things, you know. Even though they're dark things, they're tragic things, they're horrific things, they're necessary for us to see those things and the way in which he presented it was brilliant and it was strategic it was creative you know so I really love it I love how he intertwined everything how he broke down everything he must have did like I want to say he did about 200 interviews maybe a little bit more I mean he he interviewed so many people you guys Mm-hmm. I mean, he talked to so many. I've never seen a documentary like this before. I mean, it's not one thing he didn't cover. He hit everything, okay? He interviewed when, you know, dealing with 9-11. He interviewed the the person who owned the towers, uh, the people that owned the towers before, some of the officials that survived um, that attack, you know, people around New York City, like famous people. I mean, people that's like a flight attendants and, and just people that do architecture all of, and, i mean everybody he, he interviewed so many people that were supposed to be on one of those flights at mm-hmm. some point in that day yeah he did and it just so happened that they did they weren't some of those flight attendants that were supposed to be on the flight that they were not 
on the flight that day. But just listening to them talk about it, it's just like this whole documentary, you guys, it's just so riveting. It's so moving. It's really, it's thought provoking. You'll learn things that you probably didn't know. Because like I said, he's taking you, he's taking you on a journey inside the pandemic from whence it started. It's like, it's almost like he takes you on a roller coaster ride, right? He takes you on a roller coaster yeah, ride. Yeah, he takes you, like, he just takes you on, like, you start off at the beginning, right? You know how it starts off slow, and then once it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and then, oh my god, you about to drop down. You just, like, he just takes you on a journey, a personal journey, that's just up close and personal. And I really left that documentary just, like, really being enlightened, informed, like, I didn't even know. I didn't realize that the plane, that one plane that was, that crashed in Pennsylvania on that day that was supposed to go to, I believe, whoever one believes that was aiming for the Capitol, even the White House or the Capitol, and it crashed in PA. Well, I didn't know that that plane was ordered to be shot down. I didn't know that. I thought that, well, I'm not going to, because I don't want to, because I don't know who's listening to this and I don't want to upset anyone, but... I just never knew that the plane was ordered to be shot down because the story goes is that the um, passenger, which is named Todd Beamer, Todd Beamer, the passenger Todd Beamer um, was on a 911 call or was he on that? He was on some type of emergency call where he was talking to an, uh, some emergency person and he was saying that him and some other passengers were going to attack the people who hijacked the plane. Mm-hmm. And the story goes is that because of him and that group is why the plane crashed. No, well, I'm not saying that that didn't happen. We. It's, it's highly speculated. Even one of the, um, the flight attendants that was supposed to be on that flight or one of those flights. Um, he knew the crew on that flight. Um, but he he believes that it was shot down, yeah, which is he did not it. which is not um, it's not out of the realm of reality. Like it, like when I was watching the news um, in school that day, I remember them saying um, that all um, aircraft were ordered um, to land wherever at the nearest. Um, airports and then sometime after that um they were reporting um that all planes had landed but they were tracking um they were tracking one plane that hadn't landed yet um and and that was like from my perspective that was the last i heard of what they were doing with that plane um and then not too long after that um found out that it had crash landed um i know that i remember the news saying um that they would possibly like scramble fighter jets to um to intercept it which which is highly believable um but what the documentary didn't say for sure was if it had been shot down or um, if the 
passengers all rally together to um, actually take down the well, pilot. That was, that was a story, though. But I, they made I, a whole I movie out of it. I don't think, huh? They made a whole movie. Yeah, out I know, but I, I think, I think Spike Lee not touching on that. No, he just asked. The, he just asked, right, like, but, what do you think happened? Right, but I think him not even going into that any more deeper. I think that was on purpose. I don't think he wanted to go down that route. I don't think he could have one way or the other unless he had evidence of one yeah, thing Yeah, because, or and I'm not even saying that that didn't happen with the, because it could have been both things. It could have been, been both. It could have been that the, the passengers did go to attack. And it could also be that it was shot down. It could be both things happening at the same time. Either way, the plane, you know, I understand from a standpoint of, okay, these two planes and just crash into the towers. This plane crashed into the Pentagon. You know, oh my God, we're under attack. We got to do something. So I, I understand from that standpoint why the plane had to come down. But I just thought that was really interesting that, because I, I personally didn't know that. I didn't know that the plane was ordered to be shot down. I didn't know that until that was brought up on the documentary so i thought it was an interesting uh piece that was brought into it so yeah you guys and then also i didn't know that so many construction workers died during the reconstruction of the towers i mean i didn't know and i think they said 60 but i think it was more than that was it more than 60 no 60 it was 60 yeah i did not know that now what i did know was that so many people that was working on ground zero afterwards they were sick yeah he touched on that too yeah he touched on that he touched on that a lot how people got sick afterwards and you know there was one guy he interviewed um he had actually passed away from lung cancer probably i think it said like two weeks after that interview Mm -hmm. yeah but he just brought things to the forefront that i don't think we were thinking about like you want you don't think about those things like because in the midst of the things happening you know everybody was just freaking out at the at the moment but now years later you know as he takes you on this journey it's like you thinking of different things like what people were going through that day and the aftermath it was just all interesting and sad at the same time but also informative and thought-provoking and so you know because I think it's really sad that people so many people died that day and so many people got sick after that and died and it was just it was just really a horrific time mm-hmm. but it was also I think therapy for some people talking about it in in a way because you know and as you guys know interviewers are all different you know what I mean some people can get things out of people that other people can't and so all of these people talking to Spike were so comfortable and you could tell they were comfortable talking to him. He was just like, he's like the homie. And so they were able to really express everything that they needed to. And I, I, I really like that. Yeah. He got everything out of them. And then, you know, he did his little short films that he does. You know, he had to sprinkle some of that Spike magic on it, which was dope. Yeah, he always uses like the same orchestra music piece mm-hmm. for like his dramatic moments <laughs> yeah he, he did it for like inside man um yes he did um when the levees broke about um hurricane katrina that it's like that one piece of music like that he always uses um 
and then he used it. And he, he used it, he used it in a couple of different movies. Wasn't it also in Malcolm X too? No. It wasn't. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. But I've heard I've heard it in the other documentaries. It's been a, it's been a couple of different things that he's done. You just know when it's a Spike Lee joint, okay? You, you know when it's Spike Lee then put some Spike Lee juice on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because that's just how he is. He's just a, he's just born to create. Like, he's just a creative and he's just brilliant. And you just, you know when Spike Lee has done something. You can tell. Yep. So, if you guys have not watched this documentary, and again, we didn't even touch on, you know, a lot of things. But these are just some things that stuck out to us, for us, that really really stayed with us and and it's so much but like i said it's four it's four part series and it really really covers so many different things you guys yeah, you should check is, it out yeah each part is like about two and a half hours but so it's good be be prepared to it's good take a break here and then so get yourself a snack and if you guys have access to it it is on Comca- uh, comcast demand right it's on demand oh yeah, on HBO. On HBO. If you got HBO, check it out. You know, get your fire stick, whatever you got to get, you know. Get HBO and check it out. It's called NYC Epicenters uh, 9-11 to 2021 and a half. I got it right again? Yeah. Yeah, that's, see, I knew it. And so make sure you guys watch it and let us know what you thought about it because this is what we thought about it. We loved it. We loved it. I'm actually going to have my son watch it. Our son. Our son is 18. I'm going to have him watch it. Our youngest son watched it. He sure did, yeah. Our little William watched it. it. I think kids should watch it too. You know, obviously not babies, but you know. I do think that kids should watch it too so they can know what happened. They can know what's going on. And they can learn some things because it's really educational. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's all we wanted to come on here and talk to you about. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed this. And maybe we'll come and do this again and review something else. Because we watch... we like Well, I... Okay, so we like to watch TV, but we watch different things. But some things we like together. Like, some documentaries I'm down with watching. But y'all know I love movies, shows, all that good stuff. So, (laughs) (laughs) this is just one of those things that he actually turned me on to this documentary. Because I didn't know anything about it. And I started watching and I couldn't stop watching it. So, it was just that good. So You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) So, trust and believe that uh, this is great. And let us know if you guys watch it. We're about to be out. Got any last words you want to say to the people? Um. Uh. Tune in next time. Where? Don't interrupt me. <laughs> How you ask me if I got any last words? I mean, because you taking a long time to say the last words. You know what? I don't like your attitude. <laughs> Can you just say the last words? What you got to say to the people? Tune in next time where we will have another conversation. Yes. Of yes. Great importance. With a little razzle dazzle, <laughs> comedy, little, little tips here and there, just to let you know that the marriage is real. Okay. <laughs> and I met her in my twenties. I did not meet her when I was in high school and her in college. <laughs> yes, we need to really okay, before we leave, we need to really under the people need to understand this, okay? We are in our late thirties right now. 
I'm in my mid thirties. Don't do that. To late. Me. I'm in my mid. We're in our late thirties. I'm in my mid. And when I met him, we was in our late twenties. I want to clear that up right now. I wasn't in my <laughs> late twenties. Okay, I was in my mid twenties. Guess Just what? Like I'm in my mid thirties right now. This is not. And the again, year, look, the years of thirty four, thirty five, and thirty six. Those are your mid years. So I'm still in my. I'm in my last mid-year of my 30s. And then by my next birthday, I will be in my late 30s. Okay, whatever. But don't hate on me. But the point is... Okay, don't hate on me. This is not a Mary Letourneau situation. Okay, I just want to be clear. It's so old. <laughs> it is old, but I just need to refer back to it because I need them to understand that I'm not, not out here... By Why? bringing up Mary Letourneau. How old is that story? First of all, I'm really sorry about talking about the dead. <laughs> Please rest peacefully, regardless of what she did. She, she did. I'm just saying. No, but story? I don't. I understand it's old, but I just need to use it as a reference. I need them to understand <laughs> that I am not a cradle robber. That I wouldn't. I have not sit up here dating young boys. You need to be clear in what you're saying. They need to understand. We both up in our thirties. Okay. Got you. Don't do that. <laughs> okay? Don't do it. So, yeah, I just want them to understand. Because you... No, no, I didn't. <laughs> Did I get my... Do you know what happened to her? I met... I met... He was a razzle. Stella. Okay, Stella but... Stella got a groove back. You the got... movie or the real life? <laughs> you know what? You're finna get us in trouble. <laughs> because... <laughs> In the movie. Okay, I should have clarified this. In the of movie. Just saying Terry McMillan. Yeah, because if we talk about the movie, and Terry McMillan. I'm talking McMillan, about Angela Bassett. There you go. Let's <laughs> say this, because I was saying, you gotta tell me something. Because mm-mm, it wasn't the same. But okay, y'all get the point, though. Y'all already. My fans know me. My supporters know me. They know I don't even roll like that. So. Or do we, you? No, I don't. <laughs> Well, you guys, we got to go see what the kids are doing. Well, really, they're kind of older kids. They're 18, 14, and 11. So, we're going to see what they're doing, and we're going to get off now. Okay, you guys, we are out. Before you leave, keep up with your girl on Instagram at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast. And you can click the link in my bio over there and it will direct you to every single thing that I have going on, everything that I'm doing. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you as always. I'm thankful and grateful for you like always. And if you're enjoying the show, leave your girl a rating on Apple Podcasts. I love reading you know, what type of impact I am making on those who are listening to the show. So yes, let me know y'all. All right. Be well.